Hey everyone, welcome to the 84th edition of DF Direct Weekly. It is indeed our weekly show where we talk about the latest gaming and technology news, and it is our usual lineup this week. Joining me, first of all, John Linneman. Rich, how's it going? Good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. And of course, Alex Badalia. Hello everyone, a great week of news, a lot of stuff coming out. It's the deluge of October, November, December. Are you guys feeling it? Oh, a little <laughs> bit tired. Tired, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's kick off with our first news story of the week. Uh, this one isn't so much a news story, but uh, a preview embargo lifted for early impressions on God of War Ragnarok uh, for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 last week. Um, initially, we decided not to do any coverage on there because uh, the embargo details from Sony basically prohibit any bespoke video capture, which, you know... Yeah, yeah doesn't help does it <laughs> um so we're going to be going uh full on with our review stuff that we'll be dropping very very soon um but obviously there are some questions that are coming up in light of the impressions pieces that have uh cropped up elsewhere and i guess this ties into a uh, supporter uh question from tagon 86 does the new god of war feel current gen in any way or is it clearly in last gen territory with the addition of high frame rates so john you've been looking at this one you're in charge of the coverage for digital foundry um and i guess there's uh, very minor spoilers for our coverage in talking about uh, topics like this. Um, I think actually Sony did uh, some interviews and specifically one with Eurogamer where they uh, were talking about a continuation of the first game, a refinement of the first game, a continuation of the story and kind of were imp uh, implying quite heavily that it is cross-gen in nature and based on PlayStation 4. Is that fair? Yeah, so this is always a tough topic, I think, and it's something I've been thinking about because it kind of ties in. Usually when you talk about whether something is last gen, current gen, whatever, I mean, there's got to be like clear identifiers. And often one of the ways you can tell this would be, I guess, arguably like level design, for instance, you could say, okay, well, we're able to do this larger, more complex level with crazy views or like really smooth, seamless transitions and traversal. Uh, that wouldn't have been possible on like a slower machine or something. Uh, but, you know, or something like, you know, Ratchet and Clank from last year, Rift Apart, probably not feasible on PS4, given how a lot of those stages were designed. So I think the reason people talk about God of War Ragnarok specifically in this way, especially, you know, coming off of something like Horizon Forbidden West, which uh, I think that while that was cross-gen, it was very clearly like a game that took heavy advantage of ps5 uh visuals this one it really does feel exactly like god of war 2018 2 you know if we're doing like the final fantasy 13 2 thing this is like 2018 2 like it feels like it it exactly pick it picks up exactly from where the last game ends is kind of what it feels like right and i think that's not necessarily a bad thing because uh, what you get here is very clearly very polished. Uh, it is still a beautiful game. Like the art direction that these guys are known for, it certainly shines through. Uh, but, you know, some of the complaints we had with that original tend to focus around how the level design pretty obviously sort of funnels the player through a lot of specific areas. You still have some of those like, you know, narrow gaps. And now... 
narrow gaps are not just used to hide loading by the way like that's that's <laughs> kind of a misnomer that they are often used strategically for other purposes and they're not actually that uh you know noticeable or problematic here although i did chuckle when you know sort of like sailing the boat across one of the lakes uh i had to go underneath like this like wooden structure and it was basically one of those shimmy hallways only you know in the boat for a boat so they kind of like you know get down and go under this thing you're like okay that's a little silly but i think it's just meant to keep you in that area uh but the god of war has this weird thing where the level design is kind of open-ish like a little bit zelda-ish but it's also pretty constrained especially early on and i can't talk about anything past a certain point so i will not say anything about that but everything up to that point (laughs) it's pretty uh pretty constrained you're kind of following paths solving puzzles along the way i mean it it really is you're doing what you did in the last game but there's more of it now and uh but again it's not bad it's it's really fun it's good i mean the storytelling's great these guys know what they're doing on that but yeah Mm -hmm. the, the tech is certainly interesting in that sense where it's just you know it's like more of what was good in the last one but you know polished up a bit yeah, it's it's quite interesting, Alex, that when God of War arrived on PC, there weren't really any complaints that it was a PS4 title oh. <laughs> with with the constraints of a PS4 title. But you effectively you were looking at the liberation of that game uh, and what it could do on much more powerful hardware. And it also was a um, a showcase of how good the core assets were, and mm-hmm. uh, basically. Um, uh, higher performance hardware effectively unlocked the quality of those assets and also of course performance on top of that and we do actually have um several performance modes which have been publicized now in the wake of this early impressions reveal favor resolution and performance 4k 30 at 60 fps no uh, uh resolution metrics for that yet don't think we're going to be spoiling that in this one <laughs> and then of course there's 120 FPS high frame rate mode, which I guess will be unlocked, and you tap into VRR there. Um, any com- any early comments on these modes there? Uh, well, you don't need VRR. I can say that much, though it's okay. highly recommended. I would say, but all of these modes work as long as your display can out- well accept 120 hertz input. So you switch to that mode. That's a toggle in the game, kind of like Ratchet, where it's just high frame rate mode. Uh, you turn that on, switches the game to 120 mode, and then you basically have a choice between the 40 FPS mode and the uh, above 60 mode. And by above hmm. 60, we'll say it can go as high as 120, but it's definitely not usually there. But it is still noticeably smoother and faster than the 60 FPS mode, quite a bit, actually. And what's surprising is that, again, not to reveal the pixel counts yet or anything, and there is some weirdness with it, actually, that I'm still trying to investigate. Uh, All modes look suitably close to 4K when you're playing. They're not all, like, native 4K here, mind you, but when you actually see it on your screen, it all has that crispness that's very close to that level. So the image quality is really, really, really good, Uh, mostly, save for a couple weird things. Uh, It's generally very, very good, in every single mode, including the high frame rate mode. And I think this is also something that you probably wouldn't get if this was a new generation game only, right? As we often see with these games that are cross-gen, you do tend to receive these, you know, superior display mode options because they just, they have more headroom. 
and they're able to push a few more effects and visual quality and you know tweak lods and all kinds of stuff on the ps5 version over ps4 so uh in a way it almost feels like a proto pc version obviously with fewer options but it's like you know it's like it feels like going from PS4 to like a PC version, basically, I would say. Alex, was there anything in the PC God of War that you'd like to see move across to PS5 for uh, Ragnarok? Uh, I would say um, the distance of Shadows was limited on the PlayStation 4 version. And that was something that was really punched up on PlayStation, uh, sorry, um, on PC version. When you, when you went above the original settings, there was like Ultra and Ultra Plus and stuff like that, if I recall. Uh, but other than that, uh, I mean, there was this, I don't know, John will have to take a look at it and see if it's there. Maybe it's not there, uh, but they had this really cool additional SSDO setting where yeah. it was like, oh yeah, like, uh, the original like paper for SSDO when it came out had like bounce light as a part of it where it would like color bleed in the ambient occlusion. And it kind of gave off this like little screen space GI kind of look. Uh, and that was interesting to see. It helped some scenes in the PC version for sure. Uh, and I think when we interviewed them, they mentioned that it was uh, something that they took from internal work from Sony Santa Monica yeah. uh, and put in the PC version, which made it sound like something that was from the right, next right. years of war. So God who knows? War. I mean, I'm not working on this project. John is. Uh, John's <laughs> going to have his hands full with a bunch of stuff. Uh, but John, I want to ask you one question. Is this the Doom 2 to Doom? Oh yeah, that's a good description. It is yeah, kind of that, like that, but with no super shotgun, right? Oh, uh, there is a super shotgun. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> that's <wait>. great. <laughs> I wish. No, that would be great. Oh wait, I can't talk about the super shotgun. It's... <laughs> oh, it's after chapter five. Oh no. Is is it the Gears of War two to Gears of War one? <laughs> well, the problem with Gears of War two is that it's almost too good. <laughs> there we go. Oh man, no! It's uh, yeah. It's it's this is. If you like God of War, you're probably gonna like this. I'll just say that much. Although I, so could you? I, yeah, go ahead. Could could you share your uh, um, your approach to the tech review because it is in progress now, right? Without yeah. spoiling the the results, what is your approach? You know, what is your angle essentially? Well, so uh, usually with these types of big first party releases, there's a lot of really cool new technology and like really impressive stuff to look at and. God of War Ragnarok is a very nice looking game, but it's very iterative. So I'm kind of trying to explore it from the perspective of uh, the benefits of just releasing a game that is so beautifully polished to perfection and just has, it's flooded with options. It looks great, even if not pushing boundaries, but it's just, it's buttoned up so tightly and nicely in a way that I feel like we don't see that often. Like Horizon, for instance, was uh it was pretty darn buggy during the testing phase if you remember right there was yeah, a lot of problems with it off. and it got a lot better but during that phase you know I, it was oof, had issues and that's not uncommon but this one like even just out of the gate it's just like okay this is pretty much like perfect like it just does what they were trying to do and i think that's important but i also want to show the uh all four of the graphics modes now that's obviously a little difficult with the 120 modes because I can only go up to 1440p capture for 120. So we can't really talk image quality there. So, I mean, I can talk about it, but I can't directly show it. But as I showed Alex this morning, uh, there are some really surprising and weird differences between like quality and performance mode where there are cases where performance mode looks better. 
Yeah. And it's kind of confusing. Uh, so I'm trying to get to the bottom of what's going on there because you would not expect that, but there's definitely <laughs> some time. There are sometimes some big advantages for performance mode in terms of image quality. And you'd be like, wait, what? Yeah. yeah uh, that's very funny. Interesting. And the performance modes all deliver like you, you, you'll see the data. I think the most interesting data, I think people for people will be the unlocked mode. Right. Uh, but for the other modes, it's pretty darn predictable in a way that's like, Hey, this is very good news for the player. Uh, you're not okay. going to be unhappy about that. Mm-hmm. Excellent stuff. Um, I guess we shouldn't talk too much more about this one because the review isn't that far away, nope. uh, but I'm certainly looking forward to it. And, um, I guess other Damn. coverage plans, we've got to take a look at the last gen versions to see how they stack up. Yep. Uh, but you know, based on what you're saying, I'm expecting few surprises there. Have you actually looked at it on PS4 Pro yet? So just before this uh, recording, I actually hooked up the old Pro right now, and it's downloading stuff. So oh, okay. I'm gonna find out soon. I'm also downloading the 2018 game again uh, mm. because I would like to. There are some interesting things between them, like you know, mm. some of the early areas, for instance, in, in Ragnarok are shared with uh the 2018 game because you know it's around it's around kratos's home right so it's that same uh-huh. area so the time of day is different but i'm trying to see if it's feasible to sort of compare them a little bit so we'll see if i'm successful with that interesting <laughs> so uh yeah i haven't seen i haven't tried yet but we're gonna see okay so uh in common with the usual uh sony first party releases i guess we're going to be doing like a feature review which you're working on and then also yeah and then after that once uh, the game's out then we'll have a uh platform comparison because i think we're limited we can only show x amount of footage before launch okay fair enough that sounds fair enough doesn't it (laughs) you know is what it is uh yeah although you know okay so yeah and at least i'm just i just gotta say i'm very happy that the embargo restrictions for the review day are extremely loose like you can pretty much show it just about anything you want they're pretty much like please don't spoil the story but otherwise just go nuts uh i'm not gonna spoil the story but that's coming from bayonetta 3 which had the worst embargoes (laughs) i've ever the, the worst restrictions i've ever seen in my life they're so bad it was such a minefield of nonsense that we opted to do the review on release day because one, I couldn't actually show most of what I wanted to talk about because it was all yeah. super restricted, uh, almost in a way that's a little bit suspect because the chapters that you could show are probably the ones that have the least issues. Yeah, so, that's a good point, uh, John, It's like, mm, <laughs> you know, so I don't know about that, but okay, that was yeah. that was very. It's it's like, don't show that you can only show these two chapters and you can't show any of these weapons or these enemies doing this specific animation in this specific area. And the camera can only be pointing in this direction at one time and be sure you don't tilt it a little bit to the left. Cause you might see this other building. Don't say what the building is. You can acknowledge that the building's there. Just don't say the name. And it's like, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Although I guess by the time this video goes up, the embargo will be over. Right, Rich? It will be for, um, for Bayonetta three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess so because the game will be. Yeah. Out. <laughs> so I just got one one cool thing in there, and I I just wanted to mention it. Spoiler alert. Maybe maybe we should have done a review via the medium of interpretive dance. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they. This is a little spoiler, so just it's Zoom ahead. Er, early sense. earlier in the game, there is a scene in Tokyo where you fight. You literally burst. You fight out in the and outside the building where Platinum's office is in Tokyo. 
or, or wherever they are actually uh and you actually end up fighting on side on the side of the building like zero gravity style and you end up bursting into the window and you have a huge battle inside their actual office and it's cool as heck like you're like <laughs> literally tearing the platinum games office to pieces while fighting this huge creature and it's that's pretty right. rad that's <laughs> that's cool uh sorry i just i had to get that out because i didn't put that in the video because i really tried not to spoil too much in there and i just spoiled it so yeah but please this continue. is spoiler hour sorry I, Foundry. I like the game is... i do like the game it's just oh. man it's the technology <laughs> okay well maybe yeah. oliver should put a bayonetta spoiler uh yeah caption in yep. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Well, uh, what can I say? I'm really looking forward to seeing your review for that coming soon. And um, yes, platform comparison following directly after that, I guess, once the game is out. Uh, But with that, let's move on to our next news story. November the 3rd is when uh, AMD is set to release, or rather uh, it's hosting a event to unveil RDNA 3. Um, But as you might imagine, the specs are starting to leak out. All looking very, very exciting. Um, Just to give you some idea of what's going on here, AMD are moving to a chiplet design where you'll have a central uh, compute block, which will have all your compute units and whatnot, and then surrounding it are chiplets for like memory controllers and stuff like that. So it's like a modular design, and it's what enabled Ryzen to be the disruptive force that it has been in the CPU area. Um, Alex, what do these specs say to you? I mean, I think the thing I'm taking away from it is that you're looking at a gigantic compute advantage over uh, 6900 XT. Um, But I think what's kind of curious so far is that although we're seeing some leaks to specification usually these are accompanied by 3d mark leaks uh and all manner of performance leaks i haven't seen one rdna3 performance leak so far so it's still very much uh um under wraps i'd say right yeah it is it's still a bit of a mystery about where these will line up in regards to the previous generation you did mention that the uh, total number of stream processors uh, that has been uh, came to come out at, with with this uh, uh, spec leak here uh, does point to the fact that it'll be at least on paper a little bit more than double what the 6900 would be essentially. The, yeah, the 7900. They're saying oh, 10,752 yeah. stream processors. There was yeah. 5,120. That's a that's uh, that's a sizable difference. Um, but the thing yeah. is, uh, like we as we see always see in the past, the amount of stream processors, the amount of CUs, the amount of SM units doesn't always correlate one to one with uh, what you see in terms of performance, because obviously games are not just uh, limited by um, how much compute there is. There's like front end differences in a game. There's uh, bandwidth considerations. Uh, and then there's, of course, how much of that can actually be utilized uh, based upon the process that's been done. For example, like ray tracing is notorious uh, for making GPUs sweat in a way that doesn't scale very linearly always. <laughs> depending upon what's being ray traced and all that. So, like, it's really... You get the sense that at least it'll be 2x, and that's kind of what I'm getting out here, and that'd be great, Uh, like, on the compute perspective of things. Um, Nothing here about the architectural differences. So there's a certain amount of stream processors, but how many stream processors and how many CUs? Like, are they changing the CU makeup? Maybe that was something that was hinted at earlier. Um, No indication of changes to ray tracing hardware. 
Um, right. So that's another thing that we don't know exactly what's coming out of this. A lot of big question marks. And I think my biggest question mark, uh, based upon this, um, you know, multi-chiplet design is, uh, like, on the uh, Ryzen side of things, it took basically about till, like, Ryzen 3000 with Zen 2 for, like, the, the CCX latency to not be a big issue as big of an issue maybe mm -hmm. um and i'm curious about what maybe what are the implications at all for performance if any uh, for this chiplet design i i mean it's the first time they're doing it for a gpu um and i just keep recalling back in the days of like the the late 90s when like chips there was just tons of chips on like uh radeon uh, sorry like a voodoo 4 or voodoo 5 you know that's why like Ooh. i'm i'm wondering how long until we get to the multiple chip stage of like multiple compute chips and things like that um, sounds I'm, like I'm we should be about all this it sounds like we should be at the stage though where we have external power supplies for our cars. yeah we we got to get we're, to there we're Based, kind of there another, right <laughs> that's another thing about this leak i mean um um, the numbers for total board power were kind of right up there a bit, you know, with the NVIDIA kind of stuff that we've seen. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they're going big as well. Um, I hope they have a the, five-slot card. Make it happen, guys. Five five I wouldn't slots. put it past the board partners to just have the, the PC as a GPU, and then there's like a front control panel, which is the motherboard or something. Well, look, I'm just going to put this out there, but some of these 4090s just look ridiculous to the point where I don't I, get I it. Don't, I don't want them. I, I want the Founders Edition card because it actually, you know, that's a, that's a beast already, yeah, but it's I, not... You know, it's not going to have me sawing out, you know, sawing off a piece of my case to fit it in or whatever. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> it, like there's, uh, it there's doesn't require a, a stability stick or whatever it is, that, yeah, <laughs> or uh, a spirit level. I can't believe it, but like usually, like, well, I know, I usually have saw. I do like some of the part, board partner cards, but like with this most recent batch i'm just like now nah, the founder's edition is the only one i like <laughs> we got to get to a point where we mount the gpu inside the case first and then slot the motherboard into it <laughs> on top <laughs> i feel like right. that's why where we're not <laughs> i mean at, the, at this point though like most of the the thermals like and it's going to be the same way with this most of the thermals in the pc are like concentrated in a very different way than the ATX designs for motherboards yeah. and cases were even made. Exactly. It almost feels like we need soon enough, like an ATX2 or B something like BTX. that. BTX. BTX. We're moving there on. Is, something needs to happen. I mean, just getting, I mean, the, the PCIe clip on the motherboard <laughs> is, is just, well, it drives me crazy, you know, especially when you're swapping in GPUs left, right, and center. Mm -hmm. The size of the card it just makes it impossible to get to the clip if you've got like I've got here like a, a relatively large um, heatsink for the CPU. It's just impossible to get to. It's really quite quite challenging. Uh, but getting back to the uh, <laughs> the, the RX seventy nine hundred XT, um, there's still a lot of questions here. I don't think the compute power is in any kind of question here. I think it's in fact the only question I've got about the compute power is if the driver is efficient enough to deliver that compute power. I mean, we're already looking at the 4090 being CPU limited at 4K now. Um, if a notional 7900 XT is faster uh, than the um, than the 4090, then are you actually going to see that performance through the driver? I mean, AMD's driver is in great shape on uh, DX12 and Vulkan, but you know, is, is it enough? Right? That's you know, that's the kind of craziness. That's the how far. Um, uh, GPU powers outpace CPU uh, at this point. Uh, crazy stuff. Um, also, we still don't know anything about the um, uh, ray tracing hardware, as you said, Alex. Mm -hmm. I mean, just 
extra um, stream processors yeah, and right. extra, extra clock is going to make a big difference there. But, you know, you looked at some of those 6900 XT benches in the 4090 review. Uh, I guess the one that really stood out to me was Dying Light, where when the sky wasn't <laughs> on screen... <laughs> <laughs> when the sky wasn't on screen, it was like 25% of the performance of the 4090. So yeah, yeah, let's right. say you double that, you've got half the performance of a 4090. So big challenges there if the architecture is unchanged. And as you say, Alex, we just don't know what's happening on the architecture. I would love Machine to learning. know. I would love to know. Um, mm -hmm. I know there's been obviously, there's a, one thing I can always because it was, you know, it was announced elsewhere. But there's there's always some stuff going on in the background. Uh, there's people changing companies, but I did see some people went to Intel from Intel, from NVIDIA to Intel to AMD. And you could probably find this on LinkedIn if you want. Uh, but these people were responsible for like uh, ray tracing stuff at, at both companies. Um, so I'm curious to see what they're going to be doing then. So maybe one thing, I don't want to speculate too hardcore, but maybe this is more iterative on the ray tracing side, but the next architecture is like RDNA 4 or whatever they may call it. Maybe that's the one where they change things up big time with regards to ray tracing. But that is just mm. my speculation. I don't know anything. I want to know more. November 3rd is coming soon. I can't wait to find out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully we'll be doing, well, I, I suspect we'll be doing full reviews on the cards as, as and when, and I can't wait to go hands-on with it um, just to see what they've delivered. Um, because if we look at the leap between RDNA 1 and RDNA 2, there were, there were big, big strides there. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just really fascinated to see where they've decided to, to sink their resources. And the whole chiplet thing, I mean, is it going to deliver a win in terms of pricing? Potentially so. Um, but does it also introduce um, performance challenges, as was the case on um, early iterations of Ryzen? I mean, this is a, a first attempt, right, at doing this on a GPU. So, so many questions, and I can't wait to get answers. Um, but with that, I guess we should move on to the next news story. Interesting interview that Phil Spencer has given. <laughs> Um, where he's hinting that we may well be seeing price rises uh, on Xbox consoles, potentially Game Pass, possibly. He's not being specific here, but obviously he's setting expectations, right, John? Yeah, and I'm not surprised at all. Like, uh, they've done a great job so far sort of maintaining their current pricing, but it just feels like we're in an environment now where just cost of development is becoming so high. The cost of goods and supplies and parts, everything is through the roof. Uh, transportation costs, just moving consoles around, you know, all this kind of stuff that's high as well. Uh, there's, there's so much happening in that space that it just seems really difficult, even with all that money, to justify keeping the prices where they've been. Uh, considering that, even for Microsoft, which has, you know, bundles of cash, I mean, they still want to make money, right? Uh, they've been able to sort of stave this off so far, but based on prior comments, I'd imagine the actual console prices probably will not change, but I could see game prices and or I could game see pass. Game price, game yeah, pass. Going both up. of those yeah. going up after a game while, pass. you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you, John. Like, I feel like I would be a little surprised if it was the consoles as well, too. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, do uh, and I, I, uh, I think Game Pass is where they're going to start 
think that was also mentioned as part of these interviews is something like 15% of gaming revenue is Game Pass or something like that. I think that was the number thrown around. I think it was lower than that. Um, was it? I'm, okay, don't I'd have to. I'd, I'd have to okay. <laughs> look into well, the... It was a certain percentage, uh, let's just say that amount. And uh, I think that's where they could actually... Uh, save face very easily and increase the price there because if you are someone who's just kind of very floating through the gaming space uh not caring about ownership as much uh then it is a great way to get tons of games and i think it being a little bit more expensive is not uh, all of a sudden making it not worth it or something like that. I think a lot of people think Games Pass. Games Pass is worth it. Um, yeah, yes, I, <laughs> yes. It's, it's the Alex Batalia logic here. It's Games Pass because you get more than one game. You get more than one game. Darn it's like Netflix. It's not Netflix. We've said Netflix. this in the past. <laughs> uh, I, well, you know, I think um, all options are on the table. I wouldn't be surprised to see prices go up on the consoles, to mm. be honest, because oh, a... Um, yeah. Okay, you're right. Well, because A, uh, Sony has done it. Um, B, uh, I would suspect the bill of materials of building an Xbox Series X is higher than a PlayStation 5. Mm -hmm. That Um, I agree with. And, um, you know, there's rampant inflation across the board. And, um, you know, we've seen that the the cost of uh, cost reducing a console just isn't really viable these days. We should be looking, I mean, at this point in the console cycle, we should be looking forward to slim consoles and price reductions. But just as Microsoft predicted two years ago, it seems unlikely to happen. And even at that point, they couldn't have predicted the economic storm that we're looking at now. Mm -mm. So I think all options are on the table. I do think probably the subscription prices and maybe the game prices will go up. Gosh, I mean, he is the master of of these interviews. I gotta say, you just read this language, and I'm just like, this is so good. Like, I can definitely say we have no plans today to raise the price of our consoles. We think in a time where our customers are more economically challenged and uncertain than ever, we don't think it's the right move for us at this point to be raising prices of our console. Like, he says a, a strong statement specific. while leaving the door open just in case and all the statements are like this and it's honestly it's it's amazing like I just, yeah you read this you're like, good at interviews. He's, he's really good at this <laughs> he's very good at interviews very good at language um i did i was interested as part of this i think uh they said project keystone was also a another thing that's the xbox streaming stick like oh. mini home console. It was like a mini box. Yeah, like a mini they, box. they seem to be doing things. Uh, I think there's indications they're doing things with Samsung. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and their own box has been um, put Shut. back. Yeah. I think um, we need to see another uh, iteration in technology for um, uh, xCloud before. You know, I'd like to see 4K. I'd like to see um, improved image quality. Uh, yes. It's not quite there at the moment, but, you know. Mm. Uh, in the future, perhaps. Uh, I just used the power of Google, Alex, to uh, look up um, the proportion of revenue that is Thank uh, you. Ga- Games Pass. <laughs> um, and according to Engadget here, Microsoft's Games Pass service is profitable and accounts accounts for about 15%. I was right. One one five, not five zero. Yes, I said uh, one five originally. Okay, well, I, I just have a probably very bad then. pronunciation of the word one five <laughs> for some reason. Getting back into the topic, though, I think if they do raise the price of the console, though, um, 
it will probably happen after far, far away into the new year, like already around like springtime, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, to, to do it. Cause like get enough distance between now and when everyone's glutted on games already. Cause they, consumer spending goes up in December or so. Um, so that's when I imagine they I feel like a to good date to raise the price is April 15th. I don't know why. Mm. It just seems like a good point. It's like, you know, it's, it's in between things happening. <laughs> You know, it's like spring is kind of underway. People are going outside. Nobody's thinking about consoles. E3 is still not here. You know, it's just like, bam, there you go. 50 bucks. April 15th. That sounds familiar to me. I don't know why. Is, is there any particular reason for that date, John? It's just, it just, it just feels right. I feel it in my bones. Like April 15th, it's price increase day. Right. Okay. <laughs> Is that like Judgment Day in Terminator 2? A little bit, a little bit, yeah. That's like August 29th. Yes, exactly. Just to, uh... <laughs> um, yeah, I think you know this is all indicative of uh, of the fact that you know inflation is happening and uh, it is hugely damaging across the board. So I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, price increases. I think um, Microsoft can afford to be a bit more. Uh, restrained in raising prices simply because of their financial status and also the fact that they're not the market leader. So, you know, they have to be uh, more aggressive, more competitive than the competition. But I'll be really interested to see where they go with the pricing and also um, whether we're going to be seeing iterations of the console boxes anytime soon. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we should be expecting them like next year, really. Mm, I don't know. Maybe. I also think um, there's also uh, big questions at the moment, quite a lot of controversy about Series S. Uh, there's been um, comments on Twitter about how developers are being held back by it. And then there's the opposite case where we're hearing that it is actually opening the door to new players joining the Xbox ecosystem. And especially if prices are going to get higher, it's actually a really good idea to have a entry-level box. So I can kind of see both sides oh, yeah, of the right? argument oh, yeah. there. I mean, I'm seeing uh, Amazon doing refurbs on Series S for like £150. That's astonishing value. Absolutely amazing. Um, I guess we're going to need to talk about this whole Series S and whether it's holding back developers at some point, but I really would want to speak to more developers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> because, they, you know, I think it's fair to say that opinion is divided, right? I also don't think you can apply like a blanket statement to it either. There are potentially yeah, right. some bottlenecks in Series S that can be troublesome, especially if your game is built around ray tracing, from what I understand. But mm. uh, I don't think you can just say, oh, yeah, Series S is holding back the generation either. Uh, that's not mm. really there's, fair. there's a lot of factors that are going to be holding yeah. back the generation, right? You know, integrated graphics in laptops. People, <laughs> you know, There's a lot of laptops out there, low-power GPUs. Yeah, nobody's um, building games just for the 4090. Sadly, <laughs> unfortunately, that would be great. That'd be cool. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's there's a lot of um, competing factors in, in in this whole question of what is holding back games this generation, if anything. Um, ultimately, I think you know developers work around the hardware that's there, whether they like it or not. That's I think it's the, way uh, it is, right? the big thing we're waiting for is to see how the first big Unreal Engine five titles perform across the board. Yeah, uh, that's going to mm-hmm. answer that. That, yeah, we're still waiting. There's on a that. lot of questions there regarding overall performance targets across consoles in general, like how far they can push Lumen and Nanite on these machines. Uh, is it going to be possible to actually fully go all in on this technology, build the whole game around that, and get it to run on all of these platforms? What does it mean for PC gamers? 
not, you know, the PC specs, the average PC specs, are they going to be up to this? I'm not so sure. Uh, there's, there's so many questions that we won't know until big UE5 stuff ships and uh, hopefully Still soon waiting. enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's move on to the next news topic. And we're going to be sticking with UE5 because it's been announced this week uh, CD Projekt Red are looking to uh, remake the original Witcher game. And guess what? The engine of choice is Unreal Engine 5. Alex, talk yeah. us through this. Uh, what do you think about it? Uh, do you think this game needs to be remade? I mean, it's pretty ancient, right? A need is a word. <laughs> I don't know if it needs to be remade. Um, but <laughs> it is actually, it is, um, it's a really cool game in the aspect of it is before open world's madness hit. Uh, and so it is very focused. Uh, it tells a very localized story about just like witch, witcher hunting animals and or whatever magical creatures it's very local it is very much so in the spirit of how like small scale some of the things that are happening in the books it's kind of like the second chapter of witcher 2 almost of a game um the thing is that so that's interesting i'm curious if they're going to maintain that original like size of scope of game like is it really going to be like smaller scale investigative all these things i don't know maybe they won't do that maybe they'll expand it a lot Hard to know, but that'd be an interesting point there. Uh, but the other thing that it really needs, probably why it does need a remake, is because if you go back and play it now, uh, it has some like archaic and strange design decisions, uh, probably due to the technology that it was on, which is that Bioware engine, Aurora, or whatever it was called. Yeah. Aurora? I don't know what it was called. What was it called? <laughs> yeah, either way, it's on that engine and it has like weird sword combat that would never translate uh to a controller in a good way and all these things. So it it it's really good to see this uh come out, I think, because it'll widen the audience for the original like Witcher story. And uh that'll be really cool to see because a lot of people have not played the original game. It's kind of underrated. No one really talks about it. The game really got big with The Witcher 2. Mm-hmm. Mm. But that first game had a lot of quality in it. Um so I'm excited to see it. I'm just very curious about like the development situation. I know this is from uh, like a subsidiary studio and then the creative like overlords of it all are CD Project Red, <laughs> but I'm curious like like how much it'll feel like a CD Projekt Red game, you know? I think their games do have a certain style to them. Uh, so I'm curious if that is held up, even though it's being done by a subsidiary. Yeah, so uh, the developer's called um, Fool's Theory. Right, That's, okay. Yeah, CD Projekt Red saying, collaborating with Fool's Theory on the project is just as exciting as some of the people there have been previously involved in The Witcher games. They know the source material well. They know how much gamers have been looking forward to seeing the remake happen. And they know how to make incredible and ambitious games. And although it will take time before we're ready to share more uh, about and from the game, I know it'll be worth the wait. Um, That was a Mm. comment from Adam Badowski, CD Mm. Projekt Red boss. Um, I do like this, though. Still very early, and we want to ensure the game is created with the utmost care and attention to detail. Therefore, while we're excited to share the news with you, we, we want to ask you for patience, as it will be a while (laughs) <laughs> until we start talking about this project in detail, which essentially is like we're hiring, yeah. really, isn't it? <laughs> we're staffing up. It was like we need when, help. It was like when they announced um, 
Cyberpunk or when Crytek yeah, recently, yeah. Anou- recently announced Cry- Crisis 4. That was just like a hiring thing. Yep. You know, like they're not very far. Not very- exactly. Okay. So there isn't really that much more to say about this other than... Well, okay. I will say with all the talk about are remakes really necessary, I actually think... I mean, necessary is one word I guess I could use, but The the Witcher 1 more than many other games as of late, I think really would benefit from such a sort of re-envisioning because it always... I liked this game, but it feels very much of like early 2000s PC gaming. You know what I mean? Like right. It has this kind of janky, very old school kind of feel to it that's uh it's interesting and it's 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 a cool game it kind of feels more like older bioware games in some way which makes sense given the engine there uh but they their production values let's just say increased a lot with the witcher 2 a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh yeah i'll be very curious to see what they do here but i feel like they're gonna have to make some pretty big changes i i would imagine Mm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Um, let's move on. Good news for Alex Patalia, if he were a console player. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Age of Empires is coming to consoles. I mean, and, coming uh, back added, to consoles. It's coming, coming back. back to, coming back to consoles. <laughs> and um, further notes have been added to the docket. Age of Mythology getting a remake. Yeah, that's... Uh, so I actually think that's the bigger news. But uh, so Age of Empires coming to consoles is cool... I would say just because we don't see a lot of real-time strategy games on console at all. And it's always the question of, like, how do you adapt the UI? How do you adapt the the uh, interface interface to, uh, you know, because it's usually done by mouse and keyboard, which is allows for multiple keystrokes and uh, just, like, anywhere you want, you can always move the mouse. But with a controller, it's quite a bit different. So games in the past have either gone the route of, uh, like StarCraft 64 or like even John is talking about Age of Empires 2 there on the PS2. It's like it's more PC-like than you'd imagine. Um, and then there's games that just design all around the fact that it's on a controller. Your Tom Clancy's End War, uh, your Halo... I forget the name of the RTS that one is. Uh, Halo, Halo Wars, Wars. Yeah. You know, So it's <laughs> it's going to be interesting. It's I think it's actually going to be very um, cool from a controller perspective because they are going to adapt it. And it's also going to support mouse and keyboard. Uh, so it's going to be really cool to see what that's like. I imagine this is one that could probably run uh, like decently close to 4K on Series X. And then Series S would be like a 1080p thing. And it's just a matter of like controls at that point, which is pretty cool. Um, Age of Mythology now. Now, this is a game I did not expect to get a remake. <laughs> um, because it's kind of like an ugly duckling where Age of Empires was the bread and butter and the the breadwinner for um for that studio for so long and age of mythology was their transition to 3d and it's a game that as a result of its translation to 3d and the fact that it came out in between like the very lengthy development of age of empires 3 it's got like a lot of kind of weird design ideas and like wonky balance and uh it's also like early 3d it's early rts 3d which is uh i think they did a really good job with it its color schemes are amazing but it's also like 
very of the era and nowadays when you play it you wish it'd be a little bit different looking for sure so this getting remade i hope that it just expands on it and also kind of fixes the balance which is something that we've seen for age of empires 2 hd for example where they like totally changed the game's balance they changed a ton of stuff as well as made the game work well in the hd era so that's what i imagine there and i think it's gonna be really awesome Okay. Uh, also really interesting to see this convergence between consoles and PC, which which is good. It kind of, uh, going back to the Games Pass stuff we were talking about earlier, Phil was um, talking about how the growth there is now stratospherically higher on the PC side because there's a finite level of consoles out there. And, um, and obviously PC is more fertile ground. And I'm really, you know, struggling to hold back on complaining about the windows store again and how bad it is <laughs> yeah uh, so <laughs> oh god so th this console version of age of empires by the way they're both going to have cross play but it wasn't okay. announced whether they're going to have cross play with steam that's another thing right. so maybe it'll just be like cross play with the 10 or 20 users that play this game on the windows store version microsoft store version whatever um yeah, I think I think this is totally tangential, but like Rich said, they really got to improve the store or transition it all to the Xbox um, to the Xbox app and make sure the Xbox app is up to snuff for purchases okay. and things like that. Uh, good stuff. Let's move on to our final news story of the week. It has been suggested, as I've mentioned in the past, that I include some content in DF Direct Weekly in order to uh, uh, elicit a certain response for particular staff members and um i can see smoke coming out of john's ears <laughs> the modern warfare 2 playstation 5 blu-ray disc physical media uh, apparently has just 70 megabytes of data on it which is effectively a launcher to download the content uh from the internet um it does suck doesn't it john yeah it does suck i mean i mean the <sighs> <laughs> I just don't know what to say about that. Like, I know why they put these, they still put them on shelves because there are still people that buy games in retail. But if you just put the campaign on there or something, like, like I, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure that they were probably pushing their schedule tight and didn't, you know, but still, like, I feel like at least something should have been there. At least the offline campaign, let that be on the disc. All the multiplayer stuff, who cares? Make it fully downloadable, doesn't matter. It needs to be online anyway. Uh, but this is just kind of insulting to me at that point where you do it. And it kind of makes me just think, well, I don't really want to spend money on that game. Well, it's, uh, it's a, a sentiment backed up by this DF supporter, uh, Benedict Lindley. Uh, what are your views on many game discs not containing the actual game anymore and just function like a license to download the game? I grew up in a generation where the disc contained the full game, and I don't like where the industry is going with this due to the environmental impacts. Keep up the great work, guys. But <laughs> he's right. The environmental impact yeah. is that there is no real need for this product to exist uh, if you've Got, I mean, I guess it, it gives you certain options in terms of potentially getting a cheaper version of the game at some yeah, point or down being able the road, to trade it in. being able to trade it in. But, you know, the concept of, I don't know how uh, how large the PS5 discs are, 100 gigs? 100 gigs max, I think. 100 gigs and 70 megabytes. It's, it's kind of mind-bending, really. And it was always, uh, the PlayStation was kind of viewed as the last yeah, re refuge. But to be fair, like this, both switch and playstation you know 
This is not very common, thankfully, but it does still happen. And it does seem to happen a lot with Activision games for some reason. They're really bad about this, Activision, uh, which which kind of sucks. But at least, do they, I haven't seen the package. If it actually says you need to, you must have an internet connection to play this game. I assume it does because on Switch, in those cases where they just include either a download code or require you to download most of the game, they have a big banner to say that on the packaging. So you know, don't buy this if you don't have an internet connection. Uh, I assume that's the case here. But again, thankfully, this isn't this isn't actually that common, right? It just happens to be a big game where this happens. So yeah, it's still a bummer though, and it does kind of feel like they're just making e waste with this because. There's no it's, game yeah, there. It's, it's so just, wasteful. It's just a key. A 70 megabyte. Uh, like, they could have shipped it. Like, I made a joke on, on Twitter.com <laughs> about they could have shipped it on a zip disk. Um, but it, that would just be as wasteful plastic here anyways. Like, they had More to spend wasteful. the time to press to press and burn the all these disks, print a logo on the disk as well, uh, send and ship these packages, when literally you could just walk into a store and ask the teller, I want to buy Modern Warfare, and they would print you a receipt. That's all they could have done, you know. They um, they didn't have to make all this e waste to do it. And I kind I of feel like really, if they really want to take silly. this, if they want to take that all the way, they should have a special edition that comes with the game on a zip disc, a, an actual zip <laughs> zip drive reproduction, <laughs> a zip drive for USB. All, all it is for and, USB, but no, FireWire, John. It's yeah, FireWire. yeah, let's, but let's, well, they got to work on a modern system. Yeah. But then it's still just <laughs> that seventy megs, and you have to download the rest. But you have to go through that whole process of setting up the zip drive. On your console, put it in. there. We go. Special edition well, yeah. ideas right there. I would well, love that. Why are we talking about zip drives? <laughs> They're the future, Rich. I don't know what you're talking about. What about the Jazz okay. drive? <laughs> that's the other one. Two hundred and fifty megabytes, if I recall. Yeah, that's like honor. It's like was what? it two fifty or like one gig? I can't remember. But it was. I think it, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I feel yeah. like it was two fifty, yeah. but I can't recall. Yeah. But maybe they should just go the whole, full hog and you know just ship it on multiple floppies. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of nuts. And I think the other crazy thing is that, um, you know, there are these kind of um, uh, deluxe editions, you know, that give you all manner of bump and extras and whatnot, but you're not getting the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They started to do this because of, I guess, we don't want to leave the digital owners out. So they make special editions that have everything but the game. And I'm just like, come on. What on (laughs) earth? crazy stuff absolutely crazy stuff um let's move on at this point to supporter q a this is the part of the show where every week we canvas our supporters on our patreon uh, ask them for their questions uh various queries emerge some serious some not so serious most of them are highly entertaining and we choose the best <laughs> of them to answer here and uh we're going to go to a question first of all from nalasco evening my df compadres <laughs> seeing as the new norm will probably be 30 fps on future games on the new generations of consoles do you think the developers want to show so much fidelity as they can muster from the hardware on day one and maybe later try and implement mm. a 60 fps patch down the road thank you for your awesomeness and hard work every day i'd say the answer to that is is kind of no really unless um, unless, unless new consoles like you know unless new consoles <laughs> John, why don't you tackle this one? I think the, you know, here's the point, right? I do think that as we move away from cross-gen, and maybe I should do a full video on this to explain my thinking, uh, as we move away from cross-gen, um, developers have to specifically target 
60 frames per second or 120 frames per second uh, in the whole authorship uh, process of the game. Whereas in the cross-gen era, they're essentially developing a game that has to work on the base PlayStation 4 if we boil it down to essentials. Therefore, they can scale up really, really easily, and it's you know it's it's not a major design point. As the as the process moves to target these machines specifically, then sixty frames per second becomes a primary design target across all disciplines in the development process. Right. That's pretty Hopefully. much what I was thinking here. It's like sixty frames per second then needs to become a design choice, as it is for pretty much any game that runs at a higher frame rate. Uh, whereas, like you said, with cross-gen stuff, they can just kind of push it up, whatever, and it doesn't need to be a focus of the development. But going forward, I think, you know, we're going to get back to probably a similar place we were last gen. You're going to have studios like id Software that are very specifically making 60 FPS or higher games. That is their target, and everything is built with that in mind. Then you're going to have the games that are just aiming for high-end visuals, and, you know, 30 becomes sort of like their main objective, and they might try to do performance mode still, but they either won't or they will, and it'll be kind of you know unstable and not great, depending on how they mm-hmm. have some their resources. Uh, or forty FPS or, or 40, forty, like, 40, like which is good article size. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, I think I don't think sixty is going to just disappear again or anything. I think we're still going to see plenty of games that push for higher frame rates, but I think we're going to see more of the bigger AAA stuff start to fall back down to thirty. Unless you're like Call of Duty or whatever, where I think the, gonna, you know, um, the, the big question mark, I think, from my perspective is Unreal Engine 5. That's the big unknown at the moment. And uh, we'll move swiftly on to the next question from Concrete Llama, who uh, uh, has a very a, a question based on the same uh, area. So there are finally signs that we're heading out of the cross-gen period. Yay. Yay. <laughs> controversial opinion but I think I'm going to miss it while it may have limited the full potential of some games it pretty much guaranteed all new games had at least a 60 FPS mode and I've become pretty accustomed to that now am I the only person that feels this way I, I don't think you are based on the 200 odd comments on the Eurogamer article that oh my I God, posted yes. the other day but Alex what do you make of this Um, I really see uh, the benefit of all that and I honestly agree with it a bit too i really wish console games did target 60 um in like a perfect world (laughs) just because of the input response and the visual look of 60 fps uh the animation flow uh there's so many things that i think are just better about it but it is unrealistic because there's no mandate from a console um maker's perspective of this game all games on our console have to be 60 fps and there's just a budget of how much frame time you have and developers are going to choose at some point in their development that they want to target one or the other and um, that's going to be pretty restrictive now the thing is um you're definitely not the only person who feels this way. I just think that as the gen goes on, depending upon how the consumer reaction is to games, it could influence developers' decision when making their games. I think there's that pretty famous example of Insomniac, who strived for so long for 60 FPS on like the PS2 era and early yeah. PS3. And then they came out and said, well, no one cares. Why don't you all care? We we care. Why don't you care, consumer? But then, um, 
they but started that, caring again. <laughs> they started caring again at some point in time. So uh, maybe that'll happen again too here, where there's a backlash uh, to 30 FPS and um, games don't sell as well for some reason. I don't know. Does that sound realistic? I don't know. And maybe then we'll see a, a return of the king of 60 FPS. <sighs> well, here's, you know, for, I don't really know where to begin with this one, but I do think that if you're going to um, basically make 60 frames per second mandatory, then you are closing the door on certain game concepts, right? Would the Plague Tale uh, Requiem uh, look as it does if there were a 60 FPS minimum on there? I, bet, I, don't think I it bet they could still get it to look pretty close, though. I think, oh, it I think would, they'd, it would look they'd good, probably but... have to cut back a few things, but... I. Well, the, the the main conceit of the game is the horde of rats, yeah. right? That's and you know, looking at the data, that is a massive CPU drain. Yeah, do we need and, that many um, rats? Can they fake those rats know. in some other way? I don't know. Well, it, I don't think a... they put it that much in there for the lulls. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think they're doing it from it was... like a what they want to tell story perspective, yeah, 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 I know, and yeah. you know, like like they are limited by some technical aspect on the consoles there, which is why it's thirty FPS and something that. A you know uh, a PC analysis would also reveal I think pretty well. I, I, well, yeah, that, that is interesting, right, Alex? Because you've just uh, posted uh, your Gotham Knights PC review, which essentially says actually there's no real reason for a game like this to run at 30 FPS on the consoles. But then yeah. conversely, you look at the Plague Tale, and you can looking at the PC version, you can kind of understand. Yes why it is like it is and maybe that is the template for mm. uh, or rather a potential future for the for the current generation consoles to get that level of fidelity yeah it's kind of funny that gotham knights kicked all this discussion off oh. because it, it's the least <laughs> deserving i think uh rich in your article i think you also said this and i think john said this last week maybe where it seems like a game that ha was cross-gen originally and they had to cancel last gen because it would never have run on them and then it was just kind of brought kicking and screaming even onto the new gen because it was maybe a troubled project. That's the feeling I get when I look at it. Um, and I felt that very intensely when I was playing the game and I walked <laughs> from one street to another and the entire street in front of me popped up and all the cars on the street leveled up and leveled down at the exact same moment. I thought like, I don't think that was a design goal. I think that's just baggage. Um, so I think it's funny that that is the game kicking off this discussion. Rather, I think a game like, like Rich just mentioned, Plague Tale, and whatever our first Unreal Engine 5 titles are going to be, I don't know. I think those are going to be the ones that are going to be saying, like, oh, yes, this is what 30 is going to be like if it's actually 30. I, th I think we need to specify that we're talking about Unreal Engine 5 titles that use Lumen and Nan Nanite. Yeah, right? sure. Because sure. Fortnite is a UE5 game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we need to hammer that one down. And you know, there's a lot of talk about games that are coming out that are UE5, and it may, you know, it can just be a point release for UE4 mm -hmm. um, if you're only using UE4 features, I guess. Um, I'm going to move on to another question here from 1040 STF, which uh, kind of puts a bow on all of this 30 FPS discussion. Um, noob question incoming, he says. 30 FPS was a pain to look at sometimes during the last 10 years, having a kind of stroboscopic effect. But is it just me, or is 30 FPS far more good looking these days? Matrix experience looked great, mm. and Plague Tale Requiem looks great face. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I'm just remembering the arguments we had oh, about yeah. the Matrix Awakens because because of Alex. Anyway, uh, let's let me finish the question. Um, if there are new techniques in place, are, are there new in te- uh, techniques in place to improve the fluidity? And if so, is the back to thirty such a big issue? Of course, I'm just talking about visuals here, not input response, which will still be an issue for fast action games if they are only targeting thirty. John, there have been some really good motion blur implementations that that do make yep. 30 actually look really good. I think my prize example would be Forza Horizon 5's long motion yeah, blur setting. Yeah, that looks fantastic, doesn't it? Even, <laughs> even I don't mind playing that game at 30 FPS. Just, uh, I, I think it's just really good motion blur. It goes a long way towards helping 30 FPS look good. Uh, mm-hmm. although if you switch directly from a higher frame rate down to 30, it takes your eyes some time to adjust and it looks pretty bad initially, but long motion blur shutter speed and good quality motion blur with plenty of samples tends to help a lot. I think that's, that's yeah. kind of the main thing, but it is funny yeah. that he mentions matrix given, uh, it's true though. <laughs> it does not hold 30 FPS, nor yeah. is the frame pacing perfectly correct. It was just very impressive looking at the time, but uh, I mean, it still is, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the motion blur shutter speed there that he's talking about. Another thing that I want to just uh, put a point on here as well, too, is I think animations got way, gotten way better in the last 10 years, for the most part, in most games. Uh, and so, like, if you had, like, really, like, instantaneous um, animation translations where it would go from one pose to the next... Um, that could look better in like a 60 FPS, 120 FPS environment, just by the fact that, you know, there's more frames changing for that translation. But nowadays, like with something like The Last of Us uh, Part 1 and Part 2, where they had like a really great focus on animation, translations, and transitions, um, that things are going to look a lot better even at 30 FPS, just because the, the animations aren't so busted. You know, for a long time, Games had really bad animations. <laughs> like uh, a lot of them. It's hard. A lot. Yeah. Like I, I would say, like seventy-five percent of games, three D games, had not great. Animations there was a time when I used to call them PC animations because, in reality, it was more common in Western <laughs> developed PC games. It was just Western where games, like maybe, Japanese yeah. era, like PS2 era kind of games were typically more focused on higher quality animation. I feel at that time, early two thousands, but yeah, obviously yeah. You know, okay. things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else to say about this. Honestly, um, the more I think about it, and I think we talked about it last week, I think the CPU is the key issue facing this whole 30 FPS um, situation. Uh, Not so much because of Gotham Knights, which has profound CPU issues, um, but more that the GPU is more easily scalable. Graphics are more easily scalable than um, simulation. Mm-hmm. And um, if you've got you know a massive simulation on the CPU like you know Plague Tale Rats, then how do you scale that? Fewer rats, that then you know you're going to be messing about with one of the foundational as- aspects of that particular game's design, right? Um, I think there's going to come a point where um, maybe people will be having to consider PC to to maintain sixty and higher frame rates, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because the CPUs that we're seeing now from Intel, from AMD, are just miles ahead of Zen 2. You know, it, it just frees you up to have those higher frame rates as well. Yeah. But yeah, I guess that's all we've got to say about that one. Uh, next question from hmm, Chili Con Carney. This may well be his third question. Uh, in, I think it is. In wow, subsequent impressive. directs. 
Yeah. Mm. Hi, DF crew. Uh, indie developers have resurrected quote unquote boomer shooters. It's the oh, first wow. time I've heard that on mass really? in recent years. Really? And I, uh, I yeah, see it sorry. like every six yeah. directs, probably. Well, maybe I just leave a sheltered existence. <laughs> anyway, let me let me start again. Indie developers have resurrected quote unquote boomer shooters on mass in recent years and greatly re-expanded the city builder market. Which other more retro-leaning genres and games that right now are largely abandoned do you think might see a revival? And are there any personal older favourites that you'd like to see spiritual successors to? John. Uh two that come to mind of genres. I would like to see extreme sports and space simulators return and with more uh, regularity. You know, I'm yeah. talking stuff like I love SSX. Uh, you know, yeah, right. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater kind of came back with one and two remake, and then that studio got disappeared and messed up. And uh, yeah, so uh, I love those types of games. I want to see more. And then space sims, like single player driven space simulators, uh, like Descent Free Space, Classic Wing Commander, X Wing Tie Fighter, that stuff. Uh, you know, Star Citizen's uh, single-player campaign. I, you know, taking its time. <laughs> I have certainly been interested in it. I hope we see it someday, uh, but I would like to see others. So, who knows? We'll see. Mm-hmm. Alex, you have a rich and storied history in PC gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, thoughts? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I, I would really like for classic Command and Conquer style. RTS games come back. Oh, yeah. I think the rise of the MOBA and the rise <laughs> of, yeah, just got MOBAs, like, destroyed <laughs> the RTS market. Um, I would also, as a result of that, like, like subgenres of RTS. I, I would like also to see something a little bit more Warcraft 3 style come out, where it's, like, about, like, individual units and abilities of units, too. Um, RTS in general uh, does see releases. Um and has over the last decade seen a number of large releases, but it's still not the market it was in the 90s where there were tons of them. Uh, I guess the next other thing that I would be kind of um, more interested in would be like Mist Likes. Um, I think those games are kind of cool. Uh, they, they definitely require a certain amount of like patience and time, but I think with like modern rendering techniques, um, and just like the the proliferation of like assets out there that maybe you can make a a mist like game even on the cheap um to a certain degree and just you know something with a really good story i i would really like that oh okay well there's actually a new one coming from cyan i think it's fir- is firmament is it is it's called uh Reveal. yeah That's so cool. they, they have a whole new adventure coming up i think it's in vr as well coming out well that's a good place to put them quarter one 2023 i believe so that's awesome uh, i am actually very excited for that because it looks uh, beautiful and it has a lot of that sort of like that stuff i love about mist where it combines sort of natural sort of formations like rock formations with like all sorts of like old ancient machinery you know just kind of jutting out big pieces of metal just like jammed in there creating weird structures stuff's great i love it uh, let's move on to the next question. It's actually two questions, and I think we've kind of answered them before, but they keep coming up, so oh. we're going to keep answering them. Um, question from FlowG. Could DLSS 3 play a role in the success of the Nintendo Switch? And if so, to what extent? And a uh, question from the uh, uh, interestingly named Gore Guts, with a Z. 
Uh, do you think DLSS 3 on the next Nintendo Switch is enough for it to get to 4K60? Uh, Alex, why don't you take this one? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Gorguts is uh, the name of a Warhammer 40k orc, as well as a doom metal <laughs> band, if I recall. So Gorguts, what a great name. Uh, <laughs> wow. It, it could have been Gorguts 69. Gorguts 69. Um, I would say in regards to the Switch, um, I think it's not going to be based upon the most recent architecture um that is ada lovelace so i don't know if it actually plays any role at all i've speculated in the past just like throwing it out there like oh it's a separate part of the chip maybe they could put the optical flow processor as well in there and have it in the switch as well too but it's you know it's like questionable how useful it is i imagine the switch 2 would target 60 fps and uh, DLSS 3 would be a 30 to 60 FPS conversion. And that mm. looks fine enough, but it's maybe not exactly like good enough for something like that. I think DLSS 3, I'd be very, very surprised if the Switch had it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, I think the latency implications of a base 30 FPS based on the current impl implementation with kind V-Sync. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, like... <laughs> It could be okay without VSync, maybe, but you want to have syncing, and I don't think Nintendo's going to go for VRR no. or at all. I mean, maybe that doesn't seem very Nintendo. It's not impossible, <laughs> but probably that, not. Well, that'd be that'd be impressive, but I don't know. It I doesn't mean, feel like a Nintendo thing. Based on our guesses, we'd have to say that the the latest chips that it could be based on is Ampere, right? Like it's it's not going to. Yeah. No way it's going to be Ada Lovelace. That'd be very anyway, very. So uh, I do think we'll see DLSS on Switch, but not DLSS three. Yeah, right. Mm. Um, and would it be I enough think... to get 4K60? Mm, no. Uh, no. no. Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is a it's a mobile chipset with, yeah, a, like, with a giant screen attached to it. Like There well, are limitations. We don't. The, the we haven't seen the new unit or what it is, but we can kind of guess, right? Like <laughs> The interesting thing is that DLSS3 does actually reduce power draw. Uh, yeah, okay. Because yeah. Like, you're not using all of the chip to get the frame rate you want, but you know, like, I think the more interesting question for DLSS three is it's um, a deployment on laptops, yes. like PC gaming laptops, because a lot of those machines ship with high refresh rate, fourteen forty p screens. It's hard to hit that. Yeah, you know, you know, one hundred and forty four hertz. So you know, if your base frame rate is seventy two fps, and you're up to one hundred and forty four on your on your laptop screen, then that's actually really quite impressive and yeah. a really good fit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think part of the thing we've had so far is uh, part of the, the issues we've had with DLSS 3 so far is that fundamentally the 4090 doesn't really need it um, because it's so powerful in its own right. So, yeah, it's I'm really interested to see how DLSS 3 will scale down to uh, less capable um, GPUs. We might get some hint of that with the 1480, which is still really really fast <laughs> um but mm. potentially enough where it, you know basically all of your gameplay would fit within a 4k 120 window uh so yeah that, that could mm. work out quite interesting but next gen switch i just think you know please manage expectations always nintendo aren't interested in all-out performance they aren't really interested in cutting-edge technologies um, they're interested in enabling the experiences that they want to produce and that isn't entirely reliant on performance. 
And um, I think they're much more interested in great battery life, to be honest, um, <laughs> which automatically limits your clocks and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, yeah, um, I guess that's all we've got to say on that one. Final question from uh, Jack Allard. Hello, DF crew. Love the show as always. But I have to say, I was particularly bedazzled by the fetching quote-unquote bespoke mm. T-shirt Rich was wearing last week. Where can I get one for myself? <laughs> Perhaps mm. alongside a hashtag stutter struggle fest by Alex. <laughs> Any recommendations from John? Thanks all. John, uh, what kind of uh, bespoke... Uh, um, I don't know. John-specific merch would you like Something to see? Something CRT-related, maybe? I, I don't yeah. know. This look this would look better on a CRT. Oh, that's yeah, all there you go. To say. There this you go. would look better on a CRT. <laughs> yes, exactly. Alex, um, how do you feel about a stutter struggle well, vest? There's a certain there's irony. I mean, ironic shirts were in at some point in time. Uh, but like usually you don't want something that's bad on your shirt, right? Like you want something good, something you like. Stutter struggle's bad. Yeah. I guess it didn't exist. <laughs> well, I was I was yeah. considering um in the wake of your damning uh, Gotham Knights videos that yes. we actually need to move on to hashtag stutter surrender. Yeah, we just give <laughs> because it you, you, I was shocked to see that at one point it, you reached zero FPS. <laughs> Believe me, I was shocked when that happened. That's I actually amazing. did it, burst out laughing. Uh, I, I did check to see if the capture was broken because I wasn't certain, like if there was something like the HDMI signal dropped out. But no, and the, I knew it didn't drop out because. When the FPS reached zero, <laughs> the game's <laughs> physics engine obviously got so messed up that the the motorcycle stopped moving on the next frame after the the frame drop. If you watch the footage, it goes off the ramp, then it hits zero FPS, and the, the motorcycle just drops like a stone. So good. Bam. I mean, I did some testing uh, with the twelve nine hundred K and forty ninety, and was uh, I think there's a couple of clips in your video of my tests. Yeah. Um, but yours on the Ryzen, holy crap! Yes, yeah. I was about to actually uh, launch an expletive there, but uh, that is uh, that was. I, I was going to oh, say special, oh. but that implies something good. Yeah. So, yeah, that's 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 one thing. Uh, just tangential. Like, uh, I haven't talked about it yet, but like the the length of a stutter does scale with. Yeah, you know, like the frequency of your processor. Um, so the more fast, mm. uh, the faster your processor is, the smaller a stutter will be. But it'll still usually be within the realm of like 100 to 200 milliseconds. So it's still really bad, even on a big thing. So yeah, I mean, you know, we should be talking about frame times, but the 4090 with a 12900K and really fast memory still can't do, uh, still can't do. A, a locked 60 frames per second. I think the minimum I saw was like 35 or something. Yeah, it's awful. Definitely in the 40s. But yeah, that was uh, that was quite remarkable. Uh, I just had to vent there because, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, the, the struggle continues, right, Alex? It cont- it's unending. The struggle never ends. <laughs> Uh, but that's it that's all the questions we have time for this week and if you enjoyed the content please do like subscribe share ring the bell for those uh, as usual notionally instant notifications uh, no promises there um, the DF supports program so much going on there tons of early access tons of bonus material um, last week we did John came up with the idea of putting up uh, Alex's first version of his un, of his uh, uncharted pc review we did actually do that we actually did manage to find a good copy of it uh, hidden away tucked away on the eurogamer server 
so we could uh, we could share that with supporters and um yeah so there's always a lot going on there and um if it hasn't dropped already the final fantasy 13 retro episode for retro supporters is imminent and uh, i watched it through yesterday and it's awesome so yes do consider the df supporter program but that's all from us for this week and we'll see you next week <laughs>